Theorizing that primetime audiences were ready for a new time travel series, NBC and creator Donald Belisario debuted Quantum Leap on March 26, 1989. Starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, the series followed Dr. Sam Beckett for five seasons of time-hopping adventures, spawning novels, comics, and a fan base that has clamored for decades for a revival. Now, with Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett starring in a new version of the series that dangles just as many new threads as it does old ones, we'll ball the string up and explore the revival and the ways in which Quantum Leap has always entertained and inspired us here on... Oh boy... Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap podcast. My name is Nate, and with me as a co-host we can all see and hear, it's Brian Martin. Hello, hello everybody. Welcome, Brian. Yeah, uh, happy to be here. Glad to be here. Obviously, there's a lot to get into this week. Who boy. You know, this show has week in and week out been a little all over the map, and in just in terms of quality. Right. And if you had told me last week that this week we were going to be getting a very special episode, I would have thought, okay, I don't think it would have prepared me for what we actually ended up getting this week. Right. <laughs> I didn't get to watch it until Tuesday night, and the trolls were out in full force by Tuesday morning. Mason Alexander Park, God bless them, will just blast each and every one of them. Sounds like a full-time job. I'm generally a fan of anything that reveals trolls for what they are. Mason Alexander Park's Twitter has been fire since this episode dropped, and I think uh, justifiably so. Well, yeah, I feel like we should obviously preface this conversation a little bit in that clearly they're tackling a topic that we need to have a national conversation about. Right. Right. But then within that conversation the important voices that are represented may not be ours. No, certainly not. We're talking about conversations that need to happen culturally on a national level mm-hmm. and two white dudes doing a podcast. Those two things are n- not even remotely <laughs> in the same sphere. I feel like my voice is the least relevant in virtually any cultural conversation that right. isn't related to time travel. Wanna, well, wanna <laughs> asterisk that. <laughs> well, yes, in a sense, it's important that you have representation. Like, ideally, we would have a member of that community on with us today. I don't necessarily have access to that, but it shouldn't preclude us from being able to discuss it. No, and no. I'm just going to preface the conversation a little bit with: I'm liable to make some mistakes in. Maybe the verbiage I use or, you know, my intent will never be to offend. They talked a little bit in this episode today about the difference between an ally and an accomplice. I've always considered myself an ally. And based on that description, it's probably pretty accurate because I'm not in a position where I've ever had to be somebody's accomplice. But Mm -hmm. that being said, I'm not faced with this day in and day out. So it's not something I fully understand, and the perspective that I have can only be the one that I'm, you know, faced with on a regular basis as a straight white male. Right. So please, uh, anybody that's out there listening, you know, take that into account 
as we're having this conversation. Like I said, a conversation that I feel like needs to be discussed. And we can only share our thoughts with each other. So that's what we'll try and do tonight, I think. Well, there are a number of lines in this episode that I don't want to say, get us off the hook, (laughs) but but seem to convey an understanding of what it's like from the other side, right? Like being our side looking at this. Mm -hmm. The young trans woman playing Gia in this episode remarks at the end to her parents that the fact that they're afraid is not her responsibility. Right. Right. And really, I think at the end of the day, what the message of this episode is, and certainly what my feelings are, is everyone's entitled to everyone's feelings. Right. And if you're not trying to keep someone from being who they are, then you're good. You know, and that that's kind of <laughs> the message at the end of the day, I think. But uh, sure, what I'm trying to say is we can approach this without having a direct daily presence in our lives related to the trans community or even necessarily the, uh, well, the LGBTQ community as a whole and still come from a place of empathy would be the the key there. So I think there's two kind of ways to look at this episode. One, as we've said, this is a quote unquote, very special episode. Is it effective as a very special episode? Right. One. Two, is this effective as an episode of Quantum Leap? Those are kind of the two avenues that I think we can kind of explore here with regards to the leap itself. Right. I have three published graphic novels and a letter from a comic book heavyweight Mark Wade, who read one of the books and said, hey, you're a pretty good writer. The long and short of it, a saved email that says, hey, I read this. You know what you're talking about. So I feel confident in talking about narrative structure, what needs to be accomplished for it to be successful, and things of this nature. Whereas some of the themes in this particular episode, I may not be in a position to speak on all that intelligently. I think it really comes down to, do I understand? Sure. Do I understand and is it effective in communicating what it's trying to communicate? I can definitely come at it from that angle. I can definitely come at it narratively speaking, where I do believe there are some rooms for improvement in this episode. But first and foremost, I am thrilled that Quantum Leaf is finally taking its role as a science fiction show to have something to say. Yes. None of these episodes up to this point have had anything particularly relevant to say. Mm -hmm. It's all been very surface level, feel good stories about this person or that person. But we haven't seen the disadvantaged. We haven't seen anybody beaten down by a system. Right. Or a perception from society. No minority representation outside of what we mentioned very early on, the outstanding cast that we've been given. So it's kind of been able to say all that without focusing on it, but they've finally decided to actually try and tell a story that has something to say. I think it came at a good time in the season. I think it was well positioned, especially on the back end of an episode that was so just bonkers. You know, it was just a bonkers fun episode. Leap, die, repeat was not trying to be anything more than what it was. 
Right. Right? This episode is like the complete opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Let Them Play is definitely aspiring to greater ideals. So I'm with you. I'm I'm very glad to see that this show has produced an episode in the vein of Color of Truth mm-hmm. or Run for Honor, the episode that ends with the, was he gay? Does it matter? I watched that on Peacock as a chaser. Yeah. Just to kind of compare and contrast a little bit, which is what a lot of this podcast has been. Sure. That notwithstanding, who accepted the nudge this week, Brian? So, the year is 2012. The leapy is Carlos Mendez. He is a former athletic champ, currently a high school girls basketball coach at Lake Hill High School. As Ben leaps in, it's in the middle of a game. And one of his star players, Amanda, has hurt her ankle and is being pulled out of the game. Even though there is a scout there for university and she is very adamant about playing, Ben looks for a quick solution. Like, all right, maybe the deal is we got to win this game and she can't win this game on that ankle. Calls over number 23 without thinking twice about it. It's Gia. She goes in, wins the game, and the crowd goes wild in exactly the opposite way that you might expect. They start booing. They start yelling that it's not fair. Ben comes to realize that Gia is not only trans, but also his daughter, which has made the whole situation extremely sticky with the school, with his wife. And as the leap progresses, it becomes about not just confirming and supporting Gia in her identity, but ensuring that she recognizes that support and does not run away and end up a statistic, as it were. Right. It's a remarkable episode to watch because I think close to 60 or 70% of the cast in this episode is trans or of the LGBTQ community. Yeah, there's definitely a good range of representation. In fact, the writer-director of this story is trans. She played Dottie, Shakina Nafak, N-A-Y-F-A-C-K. Representation was definitely key in this episode. And that didn't stop at the leap itself, because, of course, we have a regular character who is non-binary in the cast, Mm -hmm. Mason Alexander Park, as Ian. And this is really Ian's big episode. We find out a lot about Ian's past, certainly, in a pretty potent scene. We also might find out a little bit about Ian's future in this episode, and we'll get there. we'll get there. I was actually surprised how little they had to do in this episode. I mean, the moments that they were on screen were powerful and yeah. certainly relevant, but feel like they were almost underutilized. I'm not sure what Maybe. I would have done I... differently, per se, yeah. but you would expect in a theme this way that that character would really come to the forefront. And instead, it was still sort of that advisorial role to Addison that they've done all season long. Although Ian does get a really, really cool moment at the oh, end. So- of this episode. And I'm not <laughs> yeah. talking about the reveal. I'm not talking about the twist of the episode. I'm talking about the basketball game at the end. Entry into the imaging chamber. Yes. Yeah, yeah. that's fun. It was a just a really, really cool moment. The cast in this episode does a tremendous, tremendous job. And I don't mean just the guest performers in there. Jocelyn Aguilera, who plays Gia. Whoever plays the Karen-esque mom... <laughs> that is just a thorn in the side of every character for most of this episode. 
wow, she really delivered on that Karen role. But even more than that, Addison and Ben are terrific in this episode. Raymond Lee just, and I think it's partly because of how this episode is set up, in that he is at no point the main character of the episode. Gia is the main character of this episode. Right. Ben really just disappears into the role of Gia's dad. And there's no point in this episode where I don't believe that Raymond Lee is playing Gia's dad. Right. It just does not occur to me for most of the episode that, oh, no, that's Ben and he's just there. He just adopts that role so naturally and instinctively and it doesn't feel forced. It feels very, very natural. He is consistently good week in and week out. So easy to watch. So believable in just about everything that he's doing. Yeah. Somehow competent yet overwhelmed <laughs> you know most episodes and most a, of the time it's a very good ba- it's a very good balance of i can do this and what am i doing here he has a line very early in this episode <laughs> where he says basketball i can do but what do i know about supporting a trans kid and addison says probably about as much as any other parent of a trans kid you right know? <laughs> and it's and it's great you know it's just yeah. it's just this great little very- moment for that fish out of water Thing. Yeah, he just accepts that, kind of what he needed to hear. And it's like, you know what? You're right. And right. all I need to do is support and love this child exactly. unconditionally. So this episode so, really digs into the leap in a way I don't think any previous episode of this series has. Where, kind of like what we were talking about early on, the leap is the most important thing in this episode. And the characters, other than Ben and Addison, are the most important characters. They're not the main characters here. It really is kind of delivering on what we were talking about early on, where, again, aspiring to be something more than just Ben getting through another leap. Right. It still has to divide its time with the other storyline. But you're right. There's no question which one's the A plot this week. And the episode's better for it. I guess the question, as you said, you were going to try and attack this two-pronged. First being, is this successful in delivering its message? Well, judging by the Fuhrer on Twitter, I'd say yes. Well, who's it speaking to? Yeah, that's a good point. Is this opening minds or not? Right? Right. Now, I can say, yes, I'm an ally. You can say, yes, you're an ally. But there's a part of this experience we just don't understand. And I think there are moments in this episode that deepen my understanding of what this experience is. Notably, the line I already mentioned about managing your fear is not my responsibility. That is a great way to say it. And not that I feel that fear, but when I look outward and I see that fear in other people... I have so little tolerance for it. Right. And finding a way to put that into words is something that I can't do because I'm not the person who is on the receiving end of that fear. Right. But I think this show does a really, really effective job of putting that into words in a way that I couldn't. One of the things that should be really obvious that kind of hits home when it's actually said in the episode is Gia has everyone telling her who she is including her own reflection. Right, yes. Even looking at themselves, some of them don't feel like they are who they feel they are. Nothing that I can obviously uh, relate to, but I can obviously recognize that must be a very difficult thing to live with. Yeah. I understand if you're trying to reach people that are an ally or already open-minded and need to understand a little bit more, then sure, maybe this is reaching us the way that it needs to. Probably some of these trolls are just going to be beyond 
<laughs> you know, they're going to be sure. beyond reaching. But yes, if but there's nothing also... else we've learned from the last like five years is that some of these people just cannot be right. reasoned with. <laughs> yes, right. And we try not to be political on this show, but it's probably pretty clear where both of us stand just from context. That being said, I think there are enough people on the line that don't enjoy being force fed. And yes, I think that there is some in this that may come across that way. And I'm speaking primarily to that montage. Yes, yes. I, that's that, the next thing I have in my notes. <laughs> it steps out of the narrative, takes you out I, of the I refer story. to it in my notes as fourth wall breaking. Yeah, that's exactly right. It steps out of the story and preaches to you. Yes. And that's there's not a, to say a, that the a, message isn't a good message, but if you're trying to incorporate this into a science fiction story and use it as an episode of television, that's not effective. Right. The people that you're trying to reach are maybe the ones that will have this dawn on them, right? I mm -hmm. mean, if it's in a narrative yeah. and it's in a story and you come to a realization from that story, then it dawns on them. And if they're spoken directly to in the way yeah. that that montage is. So the moment we're talking about is a montage of shots of LGBTQ kids at a support group who are there to interact and engage with each other in a comfortable, safe environment. While, and I didn't expect this, I, again, I'm not very exposed to this community, I don't know if this is a regular thing or not, but the parents of those kids were in another group adjacent mm -hmm. to those kids, and the parents were talking about their experiences with one another as the people raising these kids. And, and the kids were just being themselves, talking about Katniss and the Hunger Games uh, and... Harry Potter or something? They were talking about <laughs> Twilight and the Hunger Games. Twilight, okay. Just so you knew it was 2012. If they really wanted to sell it, they should have been talking about the Avengers. But hey, yeah, whatever. Fair enough, yeah. Anyways, some of the parents give fairly impassioned monologues during this sequence. You just want to see your kids stay safe. Most of the people who are against them have probably never met a trans kid, which is, mm -hmm. of course, the easiest way to turn your back on something is not exposing yourself to it. And then someone mentions that they don't see the harm in letting them be themselves, but I do see the harm in trying to block it. It gets very preachy there, right? In in exactly. this sort of like, yeah. the show is now addressing you, the audience, directly. To the extent that all of those kids during this montage have these sort of close-up shots of their heads looking directly into the camera. Each and every one of them gets this moment where they're just looking directly at you, the audience. And yeah, is it effective within the episode? Uh, I'm not so sure. It's certainly, to me, not the most effective parts of of this episode. There are many very effective parts in this episode. Most notably, I think, Ian's monologue about their past, and really a lot of the interactions that Gia has with Amanda throughout the episode. The girl who sprains her ankle early on and just sort of has this simmering resentment for Gia for even being on the team that is largely fueled by, yes, her mom. Those moments feel more organic to the plot and are more effective in the way I think this episode is going for. But that that montage in the middle seems like it should have been, I, I don't want to say like an advertisement, but it should have been pulled out of the episode and used as its own little device. It's a very direct and aggressive emotional appeal. And I, right. I completely get why you want to do that. But I agree that where it's nestled in this episode is probably making it not as effective as you want it to be. It almost serves as a detriment because one of the things, and again, 
I don't know how many times we're going to preface the fact that we, <laughs> you know, based on our perspective. But again, sure. one of the things that I would credit culture with and the change in mindset of this latest generation and even millennials, the culture war is being won. And it comes out of things like Will and Grace. This is not a show that I watched, but Will and Grace leading to Modern Family and mm -hmm. representation on television where it's not spoken to. It's just, as I've said earlier in this podcast, you present these things as a normalcy. It's just a fact of life, right? So having yeah. Will and Grace on television every week, a well-executed show brought homosexuality into a, a point of view that was much more accepted by that upcoming generation. It created this sort of normalized environment, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it wasn't like they preached it every week. It was just being exposed to it as As you would be Seinfeld. Life. It just becomes a part of your weekly routine, like Friends and Seinfeld and all the other guys. Right. And it yeah. allows people's yeah. point of view to evolve. So, like I said, I watched Run for Honor and this episode, how recently have you seen that? It's been a 1992? while. 1992? Okay. I don't so know. So it's been a while. It's been a while. But it's been a minute for that one. As Quantum Leap is wont to do, it really immerses you in a story first. Mm -hmm. When Sam leaps in, the only thing he knows is that he's a big man on campus. He's a track star. He's attractive. He's dating the Admiral's daughter. Everybody likes him. And he doesn't even know why he's there for like the first 10 minutes of this episode before it's even dawns on him that, you know, spoiler, his character is a homosexual. It's not the same show. Like we've talked about that repeatedly. Yeah. But this was basically a story that forms much more organically than hit the ground running. Ben leaps there. Somebody's hurt. Put her in the game. And before the credits even roll, people are booing and we know what our problem is. But for this episode, I think it works pretty well. Like, oh, I, sure. I don't know that yeah. that we needed to take a lot of time to kind of warm up to it, especially considering how hot button it is. Sure. You know, like, sure. like this is such a big, big thing. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. again, it I watched the State of the Union and then watched this episode of Quantum Leap. It was like <laughs> my culture war cauldron kind of bubbled over there, you know? Sure. But I think you get everything you need to know. As soon You'll as the people right start away. booing, you're yeah. like, oh... Oh, this is an episode about a quote-unquote boy in girls' sports. The right. boogeyman of mm -hmm. the boy playing girls' sports. I get it. Right. And I say that sarcastically because I don't agree with the detractors. I get it. And it's effective that way. Like you said, I mean, hit the ground running is not necessarily a bad thing. That wasn't my implication. Yeah. Actually, quite the opposite in that I feel like the original series episode was more effective narratively speaking because it, it slowly immerses you as that show always did. But as a product of its time, it spends as much time trying to convince Al that the stereotypes of homosexuality, like drinking tea, sitting with your legs crossed, your hands on your hips, these are not things that definitely mean you're gay. Whereas yes. I feel like if it were made today, the message would just need to be He's gay, so what? Like this, she's trans, and that's what it is. Sam spends much of the episode trying to convince Al that, hey, we don't know that this kid is gay. Don't out him if we don't know if he's gay. But right. they spend a lot of time on that. That just seems like, for the time, 
those were probably pretty important messages to get across. Sure. But it also is indicative of how far we've already come, even though there's more work to do. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. That wouldn't work today because we get that already. We're already on the, yeah, so what? Exactly. Yeah. And yes. like, that's what people need to be hearing now. And if we can at least revel a little bit in some of these victories while recognizing that we've still got a long way to go. Yeah. No, I like that. That's a really good perspective. And you're right. Like this show doesn't waste any time on stereotypes at all, really. It's just about the one thing. Where I think this new episode was most effective was for a lot of it, I was on the side of the parents, you know, like, oh, they're just trying their best. Mom had her best interest at heart. And gosh, well, Ben messed it all up. Now what are they going to do? And then there's the revelation that what they think is best is not because they're sheltering and hiding as a burden, as opposed to just allowing her to live her life and celebrating her for who she is. We've got to overcompensate as parents because now we've got an extra wrinkle in this that we need to work harder to protect. Right. Making Uh, deals with the school to keep her off the court And these types of things that they thought were in her best interest, we're led to feel like Ben and the mother are doing the best they can. And maybe they were, but they're wrong in a sense. And I feel like that was the message that delivered. Yeah, it's it's sort of the most effective moment. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. The thesis of this episode is it's okay to be trans and you don't need to worry about it. (laughs) Right. Like, just understand it. And trust that I, a trans person, can navigate these waters or can find my way or trust that I know who I am. A lot of support given to Gia throughout the episode, not just from her parents, but from the trans community that's present in this episode. In fact, the one scene that was like a record scratch for me. Not that it did anything wrong as far as the effectiveness of this episode in terms of delivering a message, but narratively, it was a bump for me. After Gia has run away, and before Ben and Miriam find her, Gia goes to the home of the woman that runs the support group. Mm -hmm. And they have this conversation while they're shooting hoops in front of her house. And this is the first scene I can think of, at least in this new run of Quantum Leap, where we're not seeing things from Ben's perspective, Addison's perspective, Mm. or any of the major characters. And it was a bump for me because of that. Wait a minute. The narrative broke here a little bit, and I get why it did that, because you have to sort of isolate Gia from her parents to have this conversation. Right. But that's the point where the episode became more about the messaging and less about the narrative. To me, just because the way this show is structured, we, the audience, are conditioned to expect that we are going to see things from a very specific perspective, and this scene broke that. Again, I understand why it did it. I was like, okay, so you have to make a call here. As the writer, as the team producing this show, what am I going to do here? Do I adhere to this sort of understanding that the audience has, or do I lean into the overall message? I ultimately think the right decision was made, Mm -hmm. but as a writer, I was like, ooh, wow, that's... Yeah, that's, you know, that was a little bit of a speed bump for me, too, But I hadn't really thought about it in that perspective, and maybe that's why. Yeah. 
my thought was, boy, they really wrapped up that runaway thing pretty quick. <laughs> That's what it felt like. And she didn't go anywhere dangerous. She went right where she probably should have gone. You know? Right. So like there was no... I almost wonder where from that point does she end up lost and and or killed. She yeah. did exactly what was probably best for her. She was in front of somebody that was almost certainly not going to let her be a, a runaway. But I bet some of what you're saying contributed to that. I think there's moments in the episode that lead us to that point. Rather than Ben making some huge, significant impact in one moment, those moments are kind of peppered throughout the episode. Having the woman who runs the support group, her phone number, and having mm -hmm. access to that and feeling more comfortable with it. And all of these things, you know, maybe it all coalesced to lead Gia to make a decision that was better for her. I don't have this in my notes at all, but just by your conversation, Ben didn't do anything. Like, he leaped in to learn something and leave again. Well, put her into the game. I mean, he put her into the game. That was the first thing he did. But that didn't change anything. Remember, she still ran away and died. Right. So... <laughs> but there's, I think there's just little moments that Ben has to sort of make an impact throughout this episode. And I also think the reason for him being there is kind of a moving target in this one, because eventually I think that last game becomes a thing, too, and that wouldn't have happened in the original timeline. Sure. Yeah. Should we move on to maybe some of the other elements of the show? So the messaging is one thing. Is this a good episode of Quantum Leap? What I was talking about there had a lot to do with that scene I just brought up. I do think it works quite well as an episode of Quantum Leap, especially when you stack it against some of the older episodes, because the focus is so much on the people around Ben that Ben kind of gets lost in the narrative a little bit. Like, yeah. he's not he's not the main focus here. I can only come back to the fact that I am glad to see them tackle an issue. <laughs> Something. Yeah. Quantum Leap has always been about your fun, goofy episode, followed by your heartfelt episode, followed by... Let's tackle a social issue. And we finally gotten there. And who knows where this episode would have landed if we had not gotten an extension. You know, maybe this would have come oh, sooner. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't maybe have it, existed. Maybe it would. Well, I have to believe that this was probably part of the plan. Probably Especially something given, they put on like a big whiteboard in the writer's room when they just started talking about the reboot. What are some scenarios we should tackle? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, yeah. I, do, feel, I do feel like it's probably was part of that original run. It feels like Quantum Leap. Again, going back to Run for Honor just a little bit, Al's point of view has changed. He was the yeah. audience in that one. He was anti-gays in the military, and his mind was changed. I think the closest we get to that in this episode is Amanda, the girl on the basketball team who yeah, has a conversation okay. with Gia outside of the principal's office. It was a very sincere conversation. I felt that the two of them had a conversation that was like, two high schoolers would have sitting across from each other. It wasn't stilted. It wasn't like forced or anything. It leaves you in a place where maybe Amanda's starting to kind of come around. We can't really tell, you know, but it was like this conversation felt like it came at a good point for these two characters who were kind of at odds with each other. It becomes very clear later on that Amanda's like, oh, what the hell ever. Yeah, I love you. I love you, Gia. And the <laughs> right. whole team rallies around her and they have this great moment. Because again... As we mentioned every week, this is a 42-minute long TV show. <laughs> yeah. And your revelations and your climaxes have to come quickly. Is the ending too happy? Like, 
the, again, my favorite episode. What a disaster. Sure. That family doesn't come back together. It ends right. on a realistic note that things will be okay, even if they're not all sunshine and rainbows. Yes. Yeah. This one, I guess they wanted to end uplifting, which is a choice and maybe not a bad one. I mean, Look, how, as how do soon you as, feel about as that? As soon as that freaking uh, Katy Perry song came on, Firework. <laughs> Firework. Yep. Like, I... <laughs> I'm just going to level with everybody here. I hate that song so much. Oh. <laughs> I've never liked that song. I understand its use here as this sort of anthem for the misunderstood people. But the first line of that song, have you ever felt like a plastic bag? Like, I mean, you've already lost me, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, no, is the answer. So as soon as that song came on, I was like, okay, this is this might be, for me, overselling it a bit. Uh, I think we could have done with some score music instead of a pop song there, but maybe that would have toned it down a little bit. But I can't overlook the fact that this episode is a triumph in and of itself because of what we were talking about earlier, the degree of representation there. So to allow that to have a moment of just revel and bombast, again, it's kind of like where does the episode, the narrative end, and where does the... I'm really tiptoeing around using the word agenda because I hate the way that word is used. Yeah. But this episode has an agenda, right? Right. I think it's an altruistic and well-intentioned agenda, and I think it largely succeeds. There's a community that needs more support than it gets and more understanding than it gets. And this episode is throwing everything it can into 42 minutes Mm -hmm. to show you that. So giving them this moment at the end, is it a little too happy of an ending? Probably. But... I'm more than willing to allow it, you know, like, yeah, yeah. based on that. The rest of it, it gets heavy enough that, yeah, you probably want some kind of uplifting end. You got to get some levity in there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree. There is a great moment in this episode where after Gia has run away, Ben makes a comment that he's dealt with a lot of <laughs> runaway kids in his past. Yeah, it was so from it's that not my first right runaway kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Miriam's like, what are you talking about? You know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was... It was great. I that's, need more of that's that. That's a good moment. Like, I Yeah, honestly, at the end of the day, I'm just glad to have a good episode. Sure. Like, And last week was serviceable and good and fine for me. This one feels like a good episode. Yes. Yeah. And I'm happy about that in and of itself because some really interesting things happen in the mystery narrative that I could most often not care too much about. Addison, she's got a great acting moment again i think they're just giving her some really really solid material yeah her discussing trump era politics there she really that almost felt like she was drawing from somewhere real and now that we know she actually did serve in the military (laughs) it could very well be that she was feeling some of those same things she did a great job with that scene and it felt real not everybody has to have an experience with, you know, transgendered people, but it was too good. I love Addison here. That's what I that's what I put in my notes. <laughs> yeah, she was good. Mine just says Addison had another good moment discussing <laughs> discussing Trump era politics. But talking about good moments, Jen had a good moment in this episode. And I don't know. <laughs> It is worth remarking upon. Uh, Yes. Like, I legitimately really enjoyed the dialogue, the delivery, the moment when they're looking for Dottie. Let's preface preface this a little bit. Let's line this up a little bit. So so in the B plot of this episode, 
we were both wrong. First of all, I'd like to say that we were both wrong about how that revelation at the end of last week was going to play out. I'm going to give you a name, mm-hmm. right? And we expected getting that name to be the focal point of this whole episode. It was not. In right. fact, at the beginning, Magic and Jen are already going to investigate. They've got a photograph from a surveillance camera in this coffee house bar joint of Ben very shortly before he started leaping. Mm-hmm. speaking to this person who is named Dottie. And then they right. go to investigate. The moment that they go up and introduce themselves as looking for Dottie and, oh, you know, we're just a couple of old friends. And she says, well, that's interesting because I'm Dottie. But Jen's response is, we're of the strangers you haven't met yet variety. <laughs> and it right. was so good. It was a great line. Delivered well by the actress, and given all the crap I've put on 12 episodes of this podcast, I got to give her her props on that one. That yeah. Was, it was yeah. a good moment for her. And uh, Nanrisa Lee. I, I really want us to start using her name. <laughs> Nanrisa Lee is the actress that plays Jen. Okay. So... So yeah, okay. I think we've turned a corner, or well, at least that was that was. I'll give her a moment. I don't know if I've a turned moment. a corner on her from this, but yeah, I enjoyed that and it brought a smile to my face. And uh, yeah, so that was good. And of course, the thing that I'm most confused by is Janice's whole thing was you can't talk about it, you can't know anything. That is the biggest lead she could possibly have given them. Yep. To just give out that name, she makes it sound like she's just giving him a little morsel. But it's a huge lead with... It's it's substantial, Huge ramifications. Maybe Janice was just not aware of that, but (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't don't know. Because it opens up the question of whether Ben was completely forthcoming about his interaction with Dottie. Because what we know by the end of this episode is that, yes, Ben met Dottie. But we also know that Dottie never met Ben. Right. And we find this out. Magic has this sort of epiphany at this poetry slam. As soon as the poetry slam thing happened, I was like, oh my God, they got to go to a poetry slam? Uh, <laughs> which I know was probably Magic's responses to, to that as well. They're that sitting was there. pure Big Lebowski to me. That whole yes. scene was just <laughs> oh, the Big God. Lebowski. Yeah. So Magic and Jen are sitting there listening to Dottie perform this poem, and the poem appears to be describing the experience of being leaped into as it was described to us by Magic in the, I want to say, fourth episode of this series, right? Yeah. And so... I have that jotted down as this week in visual storytelling, because (laughs) the acting Ernie Hudson and... Nanrisa Lee. Yeah, her complete disinterest in the poem and the look on Ernie Hudson's face as he kind of comes to this realization is like, I understand what this person is saying. He didn't have to nudge Jen and say, hey, I think she was the host right. to a leaper. You know, it was just like, oh, it, it was he, it was a really good it, moment. Yeah. We get it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was. It finally, was great. they show without telling. Yes. Like, Thank you. And Magic, in the, in the closing moments of this episode, goes to talk to Dottie to share his experience with her. This was my experience. Is this what you experienced? Mm-hmm. And, of course, Dottie shares a very similar story that she has no memory of the week that they're asking her about. 
So someone else, as he says, was driving the bus, I think was the metaphor. Yeah, something about um, behind the wheel. or yeah, yeah, behind the wheel. Dottie says she lost time, but does remember the face. The same way that Magic remembers Sam yeah. Beckett's face, Dottie remembers right. the face of the person in the driver's seat. Right. Fortunately, Dottie is clearly an accomplished police <laughs> sketch artist. <laughs> it reminded me of that scene in Goodfellas where they all go to the mom's house and the mom prepares dinner for them and, and just pulls out this big painting and all this. Yeah. Stuff. It's just like all this just, what are you doing, mom? But Dottie pulls out a sketchbook filled with pictures of Ian. Yes, very clearly Ian. Absolutely 100% Ian. Almost uh, and photographic realistic. It looks like those... You remember back in like the early 2000s, you could go to like the mall and there would be that photo booth, but it would uh-huh. quote unquote sketch your picture. Yeah. Like that's yeah. how much it looks like Ian. Like it looks yeah. like it just sat down at one of those things. But yeah, so... Who saw that coming? I certainly did not. Um, I did. also did not see that coming. And, and I was extremely tickled when it happened. I was like, yeah. ooh... Ooh, this has gotten interesting. Yeah, if you're able to surprise me, then I, you know, it was kind of a holy shit moment. We didn't really talk about it too much last week, but I feel like it's come up in the past that maybe the the thing that instigated this whole thing for Ben was somebody leaping back to deliver something, or, or somebody yeah, from the you future have that had come that back. Before. Yeah, and uh, but never in my wildest imagination did I think it was going to end up being Ian. Right, and that is just infinitely fascinating to me. The, the sequence of events that could that could know? lead to that. Because obviously Ian has traveled back from a time at some point in the future of where this show is now. And oh boy, do I love that. <laughs> and do they share this information with Ian? Yeah, that's a good question too. Because if you do, you run the risk of altering the right. events, right? Right. Perhaps you don't. Perhaps time is just really this self-repairing fluid stream. And uh... Right. Now, the thing that this kind of brought up, one, like I said, what did Janice have to gain from this? I don't know. Uh, that seems like a not exactly a plot hole because people don't know what plot holes are. But <laughs> but I don't know that that <laughs> That's <necessarily>... true. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Not everything Especially is a plot the people, hole, people. who uh, the CinemaSins guys don't understand what plot holes yeah, are. But anyway, right. go ahead. But... I don't know that it necessarily works for the motivations of this character, but the other thing that this did for me is the headcanon that I had for how hosts react or how they're affected by the Leaper. We talked a little bit about it after episode four and just how much we love the way that was described Mm -hmm. by this writer's room, by this creative team. It was great. And if I remember correctly, I did mention kind of this compliment sandwich in that I really like the feeling, the nudge situation, and I really like the fact that he had the memory of Sam's face and he couldn't get it out of his head. But somewhere in the middle there where he just blacks out for all of that time never sits well with me. And I still prefer my vision of, well, maybe they don't feel like themselves and they don't understand why they're doing the things they're doing, but they have to have some kind of memory of that. Because, for example, from this episode, Carlos doesn't get to learn that lesson. Right. Carlos He's is going to come back and be like, the ah, dad, Chica, get off the court. What are you doing? Yeah, right. Like, he doesn't get to learn all of the things that were imparted to him by his daughter. Like, yes. that's a lesson that he's going to have to relearn because he blacked out for a week. <laughs> 
like well you know carlos yeah. he's a cerveza <laughs> Hey, big man on campus. Yeah, right. So, you know, so it doesn't, in a larger sense, it doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. However, that being said, in the shared conversation between Dottie and Magic, in their experience of having lost time, I can get behind that. There's something yeah. I do like about that, this this notion that there are a swath of people throughout the world who experience this lost time, you know, like an alien abduction that they can't explain, but they have these mystery images in their heads. Also get behind that. That's cool. Think of it like this also, that the person most impacted by any leap, whether it's original series or this one, is usually not the leapy, right? The leapy is just a vessel and a means for Ben to get in there and affect the change for the people he needs to affect the change for. Sure. So maybe... The Leapy's memories are the least important in most of these scenarios, you know? Maybe not this week so much, but even arguably, I mean, like, the other experiences are probably more important than Carlos's overall. But what about Ben in the Summer Runaway episode? He made all of those lifelong friends from a week that he doesn't remember. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And I bet that kid's a dick. (laughs) And they all believe that he has an imaginary girlfriend that he talks to. And he'll have no recollection of that whatsoever. He's just going to have to play along. How does that history play out properly? That kid's going to end up on an episode of The Rehearsal with Nathan Fielder one day. (laughs) Where he's like, yeah, I've been kind of lying to my friends for 30 years. (laughs) Yeah, like it causes more problems than it solves. But like I said, I can kind of get behind this vision. If this is what your vision is going to be. And as we learned in one of our earlier episodes, it's kind of Don Belisario's vision as well. Yes. He also assumed that the hosts didn't remember Sam being there. Yeah. If that's what it is, that's what it is. I thought it was a really cool moment. Yeah. Uh, Going back to the first point. (laughs) which was about what sort of motivation could Janice possibly have. Now, this is pure speculation on my count, right? Well, that's what we do here. (laughs) What if Janice had no idea who had leaped into Dottie, but knew there was a leaper in there? Right. That's the thing, Hmm. right? What if Ben had come back with this knowledge, but not been explicit about who had done the leaping, like who he had spoken to in Dottie? Right. And Janice is not aware so she gives them Dottie's name so they can go suss out who the actual leaper at the project is. So you think she has an ulterior motive? To... I said that last week. I think yeah. she's got an ulterior motive with all of this, but that's my best guess right now. Yeah. If she's got a master plan, then she's then manipulating the team into getting her the information that she needs. Whatever information she doesn't have already. And perhaps information right? that she needs to impart back to Ben through her imaging chamber. <laughs> it really does... It maybe. really does it really does yeah, feel like there's somewhere in the middle of this season they just like scooped out part of the story and threw in a bunch of episodes especially if Janice gets back in that imaging chamber at some point I would feel like all the time that she spent at Project Quantum Leap is likely added kick the can yes. down the road stuff and not yes. effectively that's neither here nor there we we are where we are and yeah a very interesting moment for that character. Ian largely plays a support role, and and often when they're on screen, they don't have a whole lot to do. They're really only interesting because of who the actor is. Right. I mean, that character doesn't do anything, really. Right. <laughs> you know? So, like, if the actor wasn't so effective in 
bringing a character to life, it'd be completely boring. Sure. It would be a very generic computer support character. Right. There's got to be something quirky about it. It's why I go back to 24, because there were a lot of computer tech characters on 24, and it took them three seasons to find the computer tech person that stuck with the show for the remainder of it in Chloe O'Brien, who was just a bizarre, awkwardly social square peg shoved mm. into the round hole that is CTU. And she just clicked. And it was such a great counterweight to the severity and the danger of that show. It was this just goofy computer tech. Yeah. And that's largely Marilyn Ricekub's portrayal of Chloe that sold that. And I think Mason Alexander Park, while not goofy, is bringing a lot of who they are into this character. And I think that's what makes Ian compelling. With the exception being like this week where we find out a bit about Ian's backstory. And, sure. you know, yeah. that, that they tried to kill themselves at one point. And Ian gets a great, great monologue. Every trans character in this episode gets a great monologue. I did want to bring up something here, though, and this was the I want to go into sort of some time travel stuff. I think it might be my last note here. Let me see what you. There's a moment that happened very early in the episode. I have to believe it's exactly what you've made a note of. Yeah, I know where Um, you're going. Addison comes out of the imaging chamber and is trying to find out information about Gia, Carlos, all of this stuff. Ian is aware of Gia. From their own past, because they went to fairly close high schools in California. Mm -hmm. And Ian refers to Gia as a legend in the trans community. Ian mentions that they remember when Gia won the basketball game. Right. That Gia hadn't played in until Ben leaped in just moments earlier. Right. Mm -hmm. And I thought that is an interesting thing the show just did. Yes. Because. For the first time. For the very first time, somebody at the project was coming into this with an awareness of the corrected history, not the previous history. Ian makes a joke. Bested by his own technology. Bested by my own technology, yes. So what were your thoughts about that? Before I go into my headcanon theory about all of this... I mean, is it the Blue Electric Mountain? Is it the... protection of the bubble <laughs> that is project quantum leap that's uh, it that's got to be it right that's, that's, the, be it? that's why it's plausible because ian had experience with this outside of the project right because it was something that they grew up with long before they got to project quantum leap it was not something that just came to their awareness today right right and yeah i, I think it's a pretty good case for my quantum leap bubble of, yeah. of the time travel distortion around the project that allows them to be aware of both the original history and what's happening now. Just yeah. doesn't apply to things that happen in their past before they join the project. Yeah, what's really fascinating is that you never really think about it in the original series because basically the entire episode takes place in the past. But you really only see the outside of Project Quantum Leap in the opening title crawl, right? Where there's the crazy electricity out in the desert. If you look at the Project Quantum Leap in the new series, they are also underground. Yes. If you look the walls and the windows and some of the environment there, you can tell they are in a mountain or something. Maybe it has something to do with the temporal field that's created by the accelerator and how you want to shelter its effects from people outside of the project. 
none of this stuff is explained. Right. And it's all got to be headcanon amongst the fans. But again, that the old series was not one that begged for explanation. Like you were willing to, just like we were talking last week about the episode where Sam leaps in to Al, who's leapt into the soldier. <laughs> and what right. happens to all of them when <laughs> Sam leaps in and suddenly there's three people in the, you know, it never mattered. And here we're in a show that I feel like needs to explain some of these things. Not this moment per se. This feels more like just kind of a fun moment. Right. It does speak to how time travel is treated on this show. Yeah, I don't know whether we'll get or need a deeper explanation because I think that getting into the weeds on that, it could either be contradictory or restrictive or both. Given how often or infrequently, really you'd likely be addressing something like this. You know, yeah. it's just sort of taken for granted that the people at the project know both versions of the history. Yeah. Right? So I think this is going to be like a one-off little detail. Oh, I do and I think too. it's I think I it's going to remain headcanony, but I feel good about that headcanon. Better. Yeah. I feel better this week than I did previously and I already felt pretty good about it, I got to be honest with you. I want this show to explore this stuff though. Yeah. I mean, if they're going to spend that much time Focusing their stories on time travel, how it works, this whole temporal momentum hullabaloo. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, uh, malarkey, as malarkey the is a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, much better. Um, Poppycock. <laughs> yeah, these shenanigans and tomfoolery. Uh, if they're going to deal with that, then dive in and really work it out. Even if it contradicts the original series, they've already strayed so far from the structure of the original series with how the leaping works and who's leaping and why and when. Sure. What can it hurt at this point except to, to really come up with how does this work? Why are these people affected and these aren't? Does the timeline fracture? Does it flow like a river? That's what I say. Hey, <laughs> I, I'll tell you what. If this show makes it to season five, I guarantee you we're getting alternate realities. I bet that's a safe bet. Uh, I, I, I would not bet against that. It might not even take that long, but I'm just thinking like season five's when we got the Evil Leaper in the original series, you know? Yeah, I'm still waiting on the... Evil Leapers would be welcome in this series. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, so we are now aware of at least two other Leapers out there, Right. Right. So, uh, I mean, sky's well, the limit, man. I mean, the implication at the end of the original series was that there are lots of people already out there doing that. Oh, yeah, that guy, that Al's, guy, that guy, Al's that Ukrainian uncle. guy, Stropa, is out there. <laughs> yeah, Al's uncle was one of them. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He turned into a blue electricity and disappeared, and nobody remembered him, which is another interesting way that leaping works, I guess, if you're not inhabiting a body. You yeah. become a character that people know, and then you disappear from their memory when you leave. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's a, there's an X-Men character. There's an X-Men. Are you familiar with the X-Men character Forget-Me-Not? No. It was a character introduced just a few years ago, but his mutant power is that you forget him the second you take your eyes off of him. And his origin story detailed how he had been a member of the X-Men since, like, 1963. Oh, my God. But That's people, actually really people kept forgetting cool. he existed. 
I am not familiar with that character. That's a lot of fun, actually. It was pretty, it was pretty brilliant. But yeah, sort of same deal. Like, you know, as soon as out of sight, out of mind. Blue electricity, right. poosh, you're gone. Yeah, yeah. Unless well, you're also a leaper, because Sam remembered him. Well, I don't want to uh, dash any of your hopes here. But I did want to touch this before we close here. The writer of this week's episode, Shakina, uh-huh. was asked in an interview... You know what she was asked about? No, I, you're breaking news here. The waiting room. No shit. Okay. For real. Now I'm a, I am part of the audience here. Enlighten me. The quote in the interview from Shakina was, I think the waiting room is dead. Yeah, well. I think the waiting room is quantum leap of the 1980s and 1990s, and we have a different way of expressing where the leap host goes during the leap. Which is what they do in this episode. They've done with magic, of course. But uh, don't think we're going to be getting a waiting room in this series. Not that at this point I wasn't really holding my breath for it. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of had written it off myself, but that quote doesn't explain anything, really. (laughs) No, it doesn't explain what's happening or where the body goes or what, you know, that's the question. Well, the question Ben's is if, body that we're wondering where Ben's body is. Right. Ben's body is the one that if the leap host's body is the leap host's body and Ben's consciousness is just going in, then where the hell is Ben's body at? Right. Where, which we now, had see, vital signs from last week. I will be upset if they, retcon the original series to have never had a waiting room Ooh! if we start talking about magic and his leap experience and how he was never in a waiting room yeah if they start directly addressing that like they're kind of tiptoeing around it but they they haven't come right out and say that but if they do anything that contradicts that shot of that vampire (laughs) in the waiting room (laughs) i i revolt yeah, well, we'll stop watching and this will become a Sliders podcast. I said, we, I was like, we could be a Night Court podcast, you know? We could just get on the Night Court reboot bandwagon and just, just... I do feel like we need to, like, not necessarily pivot, but it might be interesting to put in, like, like, what did you watch on Peacock this week, you know? Yeah, we gotta be, know. like, uh, watch the cock. Yeah, right. I don't know. I don't know if we'd get a lot of listeners to... Get, get. to a. To a peacock podcast. Get on the cock. Well, I mean, we got it. It's all in the name, man. We could definitely get some listeners. Yeah. Well, I guess the ones we're looking for, I'm not sure. No, probably not. They'll um, be looking for something different. But, you know, the waiting room's dead. That's that's fine. <laughs> I mean, this week was a good episode for me. Yeah, absolutely. Barring the things we've discussed narratively. And... The approach they're taking with the hosts and their loss of time and loss of memory is not what I would have done, but something I can get behind. There's some interesting facet to that, this whole notion of a almost a community of people that are probably just ostracized as crazy, like a UFO abductees. Um, oh, sure. Wouldn't it be great if there was like a Quantum Leap support group at some point? <laughs> But it's like not one in 2023. It's like Ben leaps back and he's the head of a quantum leap support group. (laughs) Successful episode. Good for them. Good for us. And I was 
surprisingly interested in the tease for the next week. Oh, yeah, the tease for next week. I mean, and you're not the only one, because Ben's pretty excited about this, too. <laughs> right, and I think that might be why I am kind of excited about it, you know? Like, it's not like it gives us a whole lot, but it feels like, okay, back to normal. We're not delivering a baby. We're not... You know, driving an escape car, <laughs> right? A getaway car, right away. We're just fixing a meal in something. In Monday, a, we're in the yeah. high stakes world of like kitchen work, and I only say that half jokingly. But here's what struck me in the the ten seconds that we got of next week's leap. We've talked before about how you know Sam was sort of this Renaissance man, right? And he yeah. could do basically anything. And what? about Ben makes him a character who's like a Swiss army knife of being able to just engage and do just about anything a leap requests of him. Well, he's not that character, right? And we've seen that multiple right. times. Like he's kind of a fish out of water quite a bit. So to see him in a kitchen, just immediately slicing things and muttering to himself, awesome. Like this is a yeah. guy who's in his element. Right. So we'll finally get a chance to see Ben doing something that he is exceptionally skilled at. Well, we hope so. And um, I hope we tackled this subject uh, sensitively. It's a conversation worth having. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Good, good episode. Thanks for, thanks for listening to us, folks. <laughs> folks, when uh, kicking around in the old cyberspace, be sure to drop us a line, won't you? You can email us at Oh boy, QLpod at gmail.com. That's O H B O Y Q L pod at gmail.com. <laughs> Send us thoughts, questions, recipes, anything you got. You, do you see a good meme? Send that along. A good <laughs> GIF. I'm, I'm a big fan of GIFs, so uh, feel free to share those. Speaking of sharing, guys, I also recommend you check out the other shows in the Paprika feed. Oh, man, we've got a draft coming up that is going to be uh, the mother of all drafts. A draft of mania is, is approaching. I'll be partaking of that. Soon. I was a huge, just to interrupt, I was a huge fan of the number one Marvel movie in your Nerdy for 30. Yeah, that, yes. That's my movie. That's, that's a, my number one. It's a pretty unimpeachable number one. Captain America, the Winter Soldier, just in a class all by itself. Yeah, I assumed Endgame. Yeah. You know? there's, there's a lot of love for Winter Soldier, man. Yeah, good for them. Yeah. Good good for the community. <laughs> Way to go, Paprika. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Good job, guys. Uh, until next time, I'm Brian. And I'm Nate. And we'll be here in the waiting room.